The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Listen to an upcoming episode of Unbooking the Tan Guitar to find out whether I've pooed myself on. <laughs> And welcome to the Doctor Who pod with Sai and Dan. I am Sai, and with me as always is Dan. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad at all, buddy. We're just about at the end of another season. Oh, it's always it's always bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah. I say always, it's only the second one. But you know. Well, this is it. <laughs> it's the last, I suppose, story review, I guess, for want of a better term. Last regular episode. Yeah, yeah. Of this season, because obviously we, our, our sort of season closer is going to be our normal sort of countdown, uh, charting type effort, I guess, of everything we've watched on our second season. I'm really looking forward to that because I think we've seen some bloody great Doctor Who this season. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult one. It's um, the, uh, the the <laughs> the seasonally uh, test your memory episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go back and listen to us, mate. Bump them listens up, innit? Eh? <laughs> oh. That's a point. I could just leave it on like the lowest possible volume and just cycle it through all day. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like absolute podcasting megastars. <laughs> we may get sponsorship and all sorts. You've got, three, you've got three million listens, but only from two accounts. Yeah. And that, well, <laughs> they're all from York and Gloucester, oddly. <laughs> But there we go. <laughs> On today's episode, Doctor Who Pod, we are looking at the, well, I suppose, fifth Doctor special, the 20th anniversary special from 1983 called The Five Doctors. Uh, originally broadcast, well, originally broadcast around the world. On the 20th anniversary, which was the 23rd November 1983. But for some reason in the UK, it was broadcast two days later. I think it was because of the children in need. They wanted to tie in with the children in need uh, show or something like that. But yeah, even though it's our show and, you know, it's a British invention, we didn't air it on the actual date of the anniversary. Isn't that classic? Right? Absolute classic. What a joke. How, how, Indeed. How, how, how dare those kids need charity? <laughs> yeah, God, so all the stray kids. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're bad people. Um, oh, I, did. I never said anything about stray kids. No, fair point, fair point. And it was just a slip of the tongue. It was just, you know, the wrong phrase was used. That was all. But let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, possibly. This special here has, well, I can keep saying the word, but it has a very special place in my heart because this is one of the first Doctor Who stories I watched and watched regularly. It was given to me as a birthday, well, Christmas present, sorry. The same time I received SummerSlam 89, same Christmas from the same auntie. I got two VHS tapes. This one. And SummerSlam 89. And I played it to death. I loved it. Watched it over and over and over again. So I was really, really looking forward to getting a chance to sit down and review this. Watch it back for the first time in quite a while. And review this with your good self, Dan. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm I'm glad you've got that uh, attachment to it. Because I I 
I have seen this before, uh, reviewing it for the show. Um, it's one that I bought from CEX of all places. Uh, wow. That I picked up for about £3 on DVD. Um, and there's one, as we get into it, there will be one sort of notable thing that I'm going to ask you about because there is a big difference, one big difference between the DVD version and the version I watched on Britbox. Okay. I'm just a little, in fact, I'll just ask you now. So, you know, when the various versions of the Doctor and the Companions are all that have been taken out of their own timelines? Yeah. And on Britbox, you see that black triangle. Yeah. Appear in the sky. Was that on the original VHS? Yes. Yes, right. I remember the black triangle from, from the VHS tape I had, yeah. The DVD version I've got, that I should have brought it down with me so I could check when it was produced, had what looked like a weird sort of shimmering silver hanky, like dropping down from the sky to, to like swoop them up. Oh, okay. It did exactly the same thing as the, as the triangle. You just covered them over and then they were gone. Mm. But you didn't see like the faces, like you know, sort of in fear on on where the black triangle was or anything like that. It just this silvery, shimmery, looked a bit like a migraine aura. Just swooped in, got them, and pissed off. Huh? So it's like they upgraded, they upgraded the um, uh, upgraded the uh, the CGI for it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take a video. I'll take a video of it and uh, and send it across to you later on. Yeah, okay. And uh, maybe we can. We can compare triangles. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. Um, <laughs> the The show begins here with footage from William Hartnell, and it was from a show that we've actually reviewed, isn't it? It's from the, the end yes. of the Dalek invasion of Earth. And I thought yeah. this was so cool. This was just the little speech he gives about maybe one day I'll come back and so on. I thought this was just a real nice way to sort of open, open this 20th anniversary special then. It was, and, and you know that speech is, for all we've you know not liked Hartnell because of how gruff and, and and grumpy he is and all of that, that that speech really showed how much love he had for Susan, and and it is a real nice nod to to the beginning of the show. Mm. I do like it, and then it's straight into the modern day intro. So we go black and white to the well back then modern intro, you know, flying through space and the you know the graphics and all of that. And, I've got to say, I think I said it at the time last season, but I really do like that logo that they had for uh, for Doctor Who at that point. Yeah, yeah, I, I think kind of seen it so much as well, playing the videotape over and over and over and over again. That intro with like the flying stars and almost like um, almost like rainbow colours on the edges of the stars zapping and you know moving about on screen. That to me is that that's the Doctor Who intro to me. Yeah. As a kid, that and the Sylvester McCoy one, where the, the who letters roll into place and the doctor bit gets sort of scribbled almost across the top. That I remember, yeah, but you're pulling a face I, there, but I'm, I'm not, I know it's a bit shit, but at the same time, I remember watching that on the BBC when I was yeah. seven or eight years old or whatever. So it's a bit shit, but it's your shit, yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, and I'm, I'm only pulling, pulling faces to amuse myself, fair enough. <laughs> Gotta do something uh, when you look like me. <laughs> <laughs> we begin with the fifth doctor, Tegan and Turlo, and they're kind of having a little bit of a break somewhere, aren't they? They're, they're, they just want to chill out in a bit of countryside, effectively. That, yeah, the doctor's you know, the doctor's dusting the TARDIS, and Tegan's asking if it'll run properly, you know, if it's going to be reliable. And, and the doctor's alluding really to, to the fact that the TARDIS is more than a machine, mm. and it, it's something that's explored a lot in, uh, in, in modern who is that the TARDIS has. 
a conscience and a consciousness. And that's why it's unreliable because it, it's taking the doctor where the doctor needs to be, but not necessarily where he wants to be. Um, but it just kind of, because I'm, like I said, I know that from watching Modern Who, but I was just like, Tegan, just give it a rest, will you? <laughs> she did like a moan, Tegan, to be fair. Yeah, but they're on the, they're on the eye of Orion, I believe. Is, right. uh, is where they are and it's just one of the most tranquil places in the universe because apparently there's a high bombardment of positive ions um, which to me sounds like they've been doing shots called positive ions and they're just a bit drunk and happy yeah <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> works for me well there you go Turlo is doing a bit of a painting uh, as his sort of calm down chill out time i suppose and i just straight away the first thought i get whenever i see him is he's a scruffy twat isn't he <laughs> he's trying to look smart you know he's got his jacket and his tie on but you know the ties half down his chest yeah. and, and all the rest of it it's the collar yeah. it's not done it's neither up nor down it's just uh he just i just i, I just never liked turlo never have done yeah he's not he's quite forgettable isn't he he's like the fifth doctor's he's the fifth doctor's rory yeah or ryan yeah. Just sort of there. Um but then we get the uh, we get, we go back to the first doctor. And like I said, the uh, the the black triangle of uh, of misery swooping down. Black triangle of misery. That sounds like a really bad golf group, doesn't it? <laughs> there, yeah, we, we we see like some black gloved hands as well, don't we? Playing with some controls and rolling balls around. <laughs> <laughs> black gloved hand rolling balls around eh? exactly um, I've referred into my notes so I will be referring to this as science hands from now on science hands yeah yeah. like, okay. super, hand, like super hands out of uh, peep show but sciencey that makes sense mate that makes sense and th- th- this triangle is basically bit by bit I mean we'll we'll go through them I suppose individually but it's scooping up the doctors and some companions from all over the place isn't it Dan yeah, right throughout the timeline, Doctors 1 to 5, and uh, who else do we get? Obviously, Tegan and Turlo go with the fifth Doctor, but then we we have Susan, Sarah Jane, Brigadier. It's it's a right old party. Mm. Yes, uh, we get to see the second Doctor with the Brigadier. He's there for a reunion to hear a, a speech on, of, on the Brigadier. Oh, I uh, like this bit. It was a case of, I read about it in the Times, the second Doctor says. And Colonel Crichton, I believe, yeah. is the other person in the room, says, well, that's impossible. The reporter's still here. And Patrick Triton responds, tomorrow's Times? Like, the guy should just automatically know what he means. It was fantastic, wasn't it? It was. It was. And Colonel Crichton's been in uh, Doctor Who before, a couple of times. Uh, There's a guy called David Savile, who was Lieutenant Carstairs in War Games, which was Troughton's last, um, last serial. And then he was uh, Windsor in Claws of Axios in 1971. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, the guy here, pl- Colonel Crichton, the character, not necessarily the actor, but the character, I believe he was a replacement for Sergeant Benton. Sergeant Benton was supposed to be in this scene, and mm. he was supposed to be... Because the Brigadier is effectively retiring and making a speech and all this sort of stuff, isn't he? It's like a, a big deal for him. And he refers to Colonel Crichton as his replacement. Yeah. But... When the script was written, Sergeant Benton was supposed to be taking over that spot, but the actor didn't want to sign up for the special for some reason, so they had to basically fabricate this this new character into uh, into unit, I guess, and, and into serving the same place mm. as the Brigadier. So, yeah, it, it's fine for that scene. It would have been nice to have Benton there, but you know, 
whatever. Mm. Um, but I, I just love Trout in this scene because he's straight back into it, cheeky chappy, just blunt as anything, taking the piss. It's when um, when the guard at the door says, oh, you know, you're not allowed in there. He's not allowed, me, I'm allowed everywhere. And just walks oh. past just walks past him. And the guy goes to grab him and he just shuffles out of his coat and just says, Thank you very much. And yeah. <laughs> just shuts the door on him. <laughs> One fluid little movement just spins round and the and he's he's out of his coat and the, the soldier's holding it. It's so good. Yeah, it really is. And then he, he gets introduced after he's introduced to Crichton. It looks he says, Oh, this is uh, you know, this is your replacement. This is looks up and said, Yes, well, mine looked unpromising too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we get we get him looking around the office saying, you've, re- you've had this place redecorated, haven't you? I don't like it. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, it just, it's just trying all over. I love it. And I think it's, it's going to be a reoccurring theme. I think as we, as we go through this, this 90 minute special singing Patrick Triton's praises, because I think there are so many moments in this where he, he effectively steals certain scenes for me. I yeah. think his interactions with Hartnell are great. Or not Hartnell, sorry, but I'm going to make that mistake all the time. I'm going to constantly refer to him as Hartnell, even though it's not played by William Hartnell. Uh, his interactions with John Pertwee are always brilliant because they seem to be the two Doctors that bicker the most. So that's quite yes. funny. Yeah, the, just... the three between them are just uh, just gold. Because, uh, um, yeah, Richard Erndall, I think, did a really good job of, of picking up the mantle from, yeah. uh, from William Hartnell. And... Just him, Trout and Pertwee, when they're all having the little bicker later on and, and just, again, picking up where they left off from the three Doctors that we looked at earlier in the season. It's it's great, but like you say, when just Trout and Pertwee just had something really special when they were on screen together. And we'll come to, when the part weighs later on, we'll come to that, because I, I even love that as well. Yeah. Um, but I quite like the sort of reminiscing between Trout and the Brigadier. Just strolling around the grounds, you know, and reminiscing about Yetis and Cybermen and Omega that we we of course looked at. Yeah. Um, and then he mentions the terrible Zodin and so on. Oh, wait, no, she happened in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was that, funny. Just, yeah, it was so good. But even even more than that, when when they leave, Crichton just sort of sits there, pauses, and just says, "What in blizz is going on? Who was that strange little man? <laughs> it's like it's the Doctor. I'm like, Who? Yeah." Yeah, I mean it's funny as well. I mean, there are certain moments in this this serial, in this story, sorry, that I can really vividly remember. Uh, I can remember the dialogue and the lines going back and forth and so on. This is one of them, as as they're walking around the the, the grounds and running through the Cybermen, the Yeti, and so on. However, this is the first time I've watched this and got the, the got the comment about Omega because we've watched it for the podcast. When yeah. I was a kid, no idea what that was. It's great, and it's like the uh, the mention of um, oh, I can't remember the planet now. Oh, sorry, the mention of the Spyridons in one yeah. of the New Who episodes that um, oh, in this island of the Daleks that um, that Matt Willis mentioned to us. Like is it a finally yeah. understanding that, I love those little touches. It's great. I love it. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. But the triangle the, picks up the yeah, brigadier as well. It? <laughs> it does get the Doctor in the brig. They're uh, they're both buggered off as well, and, and at this point, it cuts back to to Peter Davison. And he's sort of, he's been clutching at his chest mm-hmm. and, you know, feeling what he calls a twinge of cosmic angst. But now it's obviously getting worse. He's saying, you know, it's a great quote, actually. Great chunks of my past de- de- uh, detaching themselves like melting icebergs. Yeah. It's very visual as well, that, that quote, very visual. It does make you picture what he mm. must be feeling. 
Yeah, and then just yeah, that, that analogy that everybody's going to get because we've always seen the footage of ice breaking off and, you know, mm. therefore it's, the hole is less than it was before. Really, really clever, a cleverly written bit. And, it, you know, just for something like that, it didn't need to be as clever as it was. Um, nah. But then I, quite, I just quite give it the hold, you know, I'll be fine, I'll have it worked out soon. And then he probably collapses. Just like, well, that, 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 that really went well there, Doc. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see John Pertwee's doctor getting picked up, uh, and Bessie, of course, the car, oh, getting yeah. scooped up by the triangle. He tries to write Rennet in his little car, uh, <laughs> thinks, he, thinks he has at one point, and then it just swoops down and grabs him. It's and cool seeing see... in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite cool. Uh, Sarah Jane is picked up as well. She's arguing with K9 because K9 is trying to tell her not to go out. She, he detects danger and it now involves the doctor as well. And Sarah Jane just kind of fobbed like silly little dog. What's he on about? And goes out anyway. I'm yeah, glad K9 didn't get picked up. <laughs> You're not a fan, are you? I'm not, mate. Yeah. I'm not. The one that gets me is Sarah Jane is ignoring 51st century technology. Mm-hmm. She's ignoring a, you know, basically a, a an AI space computer that has workings beyond anything that you could find in 1983. Yeah. But she's just going, oh, well, the doctor can't be involved because he's not been around for years, so give over. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, it's one of those, she's got a cute beware of the dog sign though on the gate. Yeah, written in sort of like a computerized, well, for the 80s anyway, a computerized sort of font, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's about as much as I can say to that. Yeah, I mean, K9's a funny one for me. I, I'm glad he didn't get picked. It was nice seeing K9. Mm. And when I first see K9 appear on screen at all, I mean, I'm currently doing a big watch back with, with, with my youngest daughter, Charlie, and we're just at the episode now where Sarah Jane and K9 turn up with David Tennant. Back to school now, or whatever it's called. Yes, uh, yeah, school reunion, back to school, something like that. Yeah. And um, I know K9's in it. K9 appears on screen. I do go, oh, K9. And then after about a minute or two of it talking, I'm just thinking, I'll do one, mate, yeah? Oh, it's K9. Oh, it's K9. Yeah, that's kind of how it goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, oh, fuck off, K9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fourth Doctor is picked up, but this is quite cleverly done, I think, on one hand, because Tom Baker didn't want to be part of this you know, 20th anniversary special. Mm. Um, various quotes and reasons behind it you can find online. One that stuck out to me was he said he didn't want to play 20% of a character that he used to play 100% of. And I was a bit like, okay, that doesn't sound too too chirpy, but there we go. Mm. And in modern days, he has said that he regrets this decision not being involved, Dan. Yeah, I can understand that. It's a funny one because, you know... It is a bit of a, it's not a reasoning I'd go along with where he's saying, I'd, you know, because he's basically saying that I don't want to not be the centre of attention. Yeah. Um, which is what that boils down to to me, or at least my interpretation of it. Um, but, you know, people feel how they feel at the time and they're either proved right or wrong. And in this case, he was proved wrong, but at least he got to um, to have his redemption in the 50th. Yes, and that is fantastic, isn't it? That oh, is I lost my mind when I heard his voice. Yeah, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Here, the way they get around it, though, is a serial called Shada, Shader, however you pronounce it. 
mm. that wasn't aired at this point. It's now available. You can find it in different places, but it was part of the, the it was, it fell victim to writing strikes at the BBC and uh, all this sort of stuff. So this was a part filmed part unfinished or not, not, ed- not fully edited story. So they just cut a few bits out of this and just stuck a black triangle in it. And yeah. I didn't get picked up. So it worked. Yeah, it did. It worked. And, and in a way, um, Tom Baker not wanting to be involved is inadvertently a nice little nod to the three doctors because of the way they have to write him out. Mm. Because when all the, what we've not mentioned is when all these people are being picked up, we're seeing uh, science hands having little figures of them generated and placed onto a, oh, onto he's, a got board. Some, he's got some brilliant models, hasn't he? He's got a great set of action figures there. I want those. <laughs> I do as well, actually. We're complete with the light up um, dark tower. Yeah. So. Oh, that'd be amazing. Imagine that, it, could, it, could, it could be a bedside table. It could. It could be a nightlight. Oh, so when you're watching, yeah. like, I don't know, Blink or something, that's a bit scary. You could put that on so you can sleep in the dark, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a good way to do it. And then, you know, they say that he's, you know, stuck in the vortex or whatever. Um, but they, they do keep mentioning and pointing out that he's missing, mm. which in one hand, it... it is I well? It's either a dig at him for not being there, or a really sort of subtle way of saying that they miss him and wish he was there. And I can't yeah. decide which. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I prefer to think the latter. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, do you know about the production pictures as well that they shot? No. Okay, there's there's quite famous images. If you type in literally just five doctors online, there's quite famous images of the five doctors there that was shot for this this special, the 20th special. Mm. Tom Baker said he was going to be there to at least do the photo shoot, uh, even though he wasn't going to take part in the series. The producers of the show apparently didn't trust Tom Baker to turn up, so they got a um, waxwork of him that was created in 1980 and just stood the waxwork behind the other doctors. Now, when you look, <laughs> you can really see that that's not actually Tom Baker. But again... You know, they they believed that Tom Baker wasn't going to turn up, so they got hold of this this you know waxwork that was a few years old, and it turned out they were they were quite right because Tom Baker didn't show. Oh, they are amazing pictures. That looks terrible. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. But um, I'll use like one actually... of those. I'll use one of those as like the the actual picture for the uh, tweets that we put out about the show. So people <laughs> listening now can go onto the Twitter and see the, the, these images of the waxwork. Tom Baker just stood there. I am finding out as well that they did put out several versions of this, uh, of the five doctors on both uh, VHS and DVD. So like I say, it, with the, um, with the triangle thing, that's obviously uh, part of it. Yeah. And part of the, part of the upgrade as it were. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Um, and we, we're going back to, um, we keep going back to the doctor as well between these. And we get another great line as he's sort of being, you know, different versions of him being taken, where he says, I'm being diminished, whittled away piece by piece. A man is the sum of his memories, you know, a time lord, even more so. And again, another great line for what is essentially him saying, what's happening is bad. Yeah. That line, a man is the sum of his memories. I love that. Mm. Something very sort of poignant about it, isn't it? Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it's very good. And then he asks to be carted into the TARDIS. Yeah, I mean, it's a safe place, isn't it? I suppose. Get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Just sat well, out on a hill, you know. Yeah. Anything could happen. Well, Black yeah, triangle yeah. could turn up. 
<laughs> anything could happen. Anything can happen when you just deposit it on a hill. You know, Sarah Jane will find that later on. Oh, dear me. Yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, we get our first sighting of, I suppose, that they're referred to as the Inner Council here, don't we? After the Doctor is, you know, oh, fading the high, council. Like, high Council. But they also refer to the three of them as the Inner Council or the Inner oh, high, right. They're like a separate section to it, I think. The Inner Thigh Council. The Inner Thigh Council, yeah. I've seen that movie. It's great. Um, <laughs> Uh, and they're, they're having a meeting there's only the three of them sat there and they're having a meeting and it turns out that the, the one of them is the is it high president or president chief lord president lord president okay uh and they but basically the three of them have made a decision to call for the master and in he comes with a little cheesy grin he looks as happy as a pig in shit yeah <laughs> doesn't he it's um it, he come, uh, it's uh, Anthony Amber, isn't it Yes. I always get the names mixed up. He, he, he walks in. He's, you've got the Lord President, Castellan, and Chancellor, Chancellor Flavia there. And he is just the cat that's got the cream. But the Lord President comes at him with a great line. He says, you're one of the most evil and corrupt beings this Time Lord society has ever produced. Your crimes are without number and your villainy without end. But we're willing to offer him a full and free pardon. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this, it, it just it perfectly <laughs> sets up how serious the situation is. Yeah. And it, it this is just after we get a real slimy, cocky uh, as you said, Dan, cat's got the cream sort of action. He walks into this, you know, incredibly prestigious uh gathering of time lords and he sits down and just goes, Oh, I may be seated with yeah. a little grin on his it's just so good. He just pats his ass and it, he, the, the grin gets even bigger. When the Lord President is reeling all that off, he's there just saying, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm a bastard." <laughs> well, I'm good bastard. At it. <laughs> yeah, and then he just looks at him after all that and says, "What makes you think I want your forgiveness?" Yeah, but then they dangle the carrot again, don't they? They're offering him a brand new regeneration cycle, which yes, I really like because it ties in so well with what will with what's come out in flux recently. You know about the timeless child, and, and even with Matt Smith, when they granted Matt Smith extra regen- an extra regeneration cycle, mm-hmm. and you know effectively start from zero with Capaldi, start from one with Capaldi again. To know that it was thought of even back then just yeah. makes it so much better for me. Yeah, it ties it all in, doesn't it? It's not just a case of we've hit something on uh, on New Who. We're unsure how to get around mm-hmm. it. Oh, let's just chuck this in to 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 you know work out this potential plot issue we may have there's throwbacks and previous i guess yeah i do like it It it's really good um so yeah they dangle the carrot with the the new regeneration cycle and then they say they need him to rescue the doctor at which point his shit-eating green gets even bigger yes it's brilliant and anthony amy here is just so evil and slimy but real cocky as well isn't he smug yeah that's yeah exactly the level of the smugometer would be off the charts yeah, it was just so good, and it, but he says so much without saying anything. Just is just in his face. It's brilliant. Yeah, and it's so good. Just completely, what it just completely one eighties, and we've got the first Doctor walking through all these mirrored halls, and Susan's there. You know, we haven't. Yeah, this we haven't, seen, we haven't seen her up until that point. No. She must have been time scooped out of there as well. Yeah, and it's it is a funny one for me because the Doctor. It's almost like. It's almost like a weird maze kind of thing, isn't it? He, he's in. 
it's a mirror, like a mirror maze. Like we, yeah. we think we've all been in them at some point, you know. It's, but yeah, it's it's quite obviously meant to confuse and and well be lethal because there's a Dalek in there. Well, this was a brilliant thing for me. The way this was done, the Doctor and Susan are talking. They've had you know a bit of a reunion, and then it's a case of oh, why are we here? How has this happened? And so on. And as they're talking, you can see the shadow of the Dalek on the wall behind them before you actually see the Dalek. I thought that was yeah. really well done. Yeah, I like that. But they they also gave that away, used that trick to pop it in your mind when you saw Susan's shadow. Mm. So you saw someone in there with the Doctor, you have that split second of, who's that? And then, oh, it's Susan, that's brilliant. And then it's perfectly placed in the background and, oh, shit, a Dalek. Yeah. So yeah, well done. Really, really well done. I mean, it's, it's sorry, go something I forgot to mention before. That's a really good camera trick. And but earlier in the earlier in the uh, in the show, when Tegan and the Doctor are talking, when the Doctor's cleaning the TARDIS, for some reason they just had a shot where you could see Peter Davison on the right hand side of his screen cleaning the TARDIS, and for some reason, just the back of Tegan's head. Yeah, <laughs> I think she just had a haircut, so maybe they were showing it off. Yeah, it was very bizarre. Uh, very bizarre editorial choice. Yeah, very <laughs> odd. Very odd. Uh, um, we then we then jump back to the the, the High Council or, or wherever they're worded uh, in in Gallifrey, and this is something. Then I've started to notice notice happens a great deal in this first probably first forty five minutes to an hour. Dan, we are mm. jumping back and forth a lot, and there are certain stories where we've watched in the past that we're cutting between different, I suppose, story threads, I guess. And it, it kind of, it can be a bit jarring here. I didn't mind it so much. There was a lot going on and a lot of moving parts, all these different doctors arriving with different companions and uh, different challenges, I guess, that will come to shortly. Many different sort of moving parts, different, different stories all running together, but it wasn't, it didn't seem too jarring for me this time around. It kind of, it kind of worked this time for me. How about you? Yeah, it worked for me as well. I think the, the thing is with this, they have a it, ha, it all has a focal point. You know, initially it's all the doctors been taking out, taken out of time, and that's all centered on the effects on on Peter Davidson. When they've all been taken out of time and they've all arrived in the death zone, they're all very quickly making for the tower. You've got you know Pertwee coming in from the top. Davison wants to go in, you know, through the through the main door, and Troughton's coming from uh, coming from underneath. Mm-hmm. So they're all they're all converging on the same place, and it all feels sort of a natural progression of things in terms of where they are at what point. They all seem to move at the same pace, if you like. Like a lot of the times, if you know, if one person will be here, and then it'll feel like hours of their journey's gone by, and they've not got anywhere. Others will feel like they've got a stupid distance in minutes. Yeah. So I, it, I, I suppose it's kind of a pacing thing, but it's um, yeah, it's really well done here. And you, you think you've got four doctors to follow, and the High Council with the Master, and they all in you know a load of them intersect at various different points and all of that. It's 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 very well done in, in such a short period of time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we find out that the Doctor has been taken out of time. This is the the, the High President talking, or Lord President, sorry, talking might, to the it Master. Might have been, it might have been High, you never know. It might have been. Yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Uh, <laughs> explaining to the Master. I was huffing paint around the back. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I've picked a hell of a day to quit sniffing glue. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's when we're in, it's, but we're introducing his name as well as Barusa, and I don't yeah. know if he's, um, you know, if he crops up at any time. Um, other than this, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, they have a brief explanation of what the death zone actually is. But even mm-hmm. then, they allude to what it is here. But the full explanation of what the death zone is comes to like comes through across the stories, which also helps. Yeah, because the master calls it the black secret at the heart of your time lord paradise, and they're saying that there's a bit of wee woo beep boop here, guys. Um, the zone's recently reactivated and is draining energy from the Eye of Harmony that endangers all of Gallifrey. Uh, they've sent to the High Council recently, but they've not returned. And now the Doctor does not exist in any regeneration at all. And the Master yeah. sits there and he says, the cosmos without the Doctor scarcely bears thinking about. Which is a great moment and shows that, although they're trying to kill each other all most of the time, they actually hold each other in high regard. It's this, you know, the friends of the enemies. Is it a bit of both? Yeah. Kind of yeah. relationship. And the history there as well, isn't it? Because they were at the academy together and uh, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. they're not there, isn't there? But they're going to use a, ha- a power boost in open-ended transmat beam uh, to get the master wow. in there, which is the only option, I think. You know, I would have thought if you choose anything else, you're nothing but a downright fool. Exactly. It's, it's my preferred method of travel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there you go. And they say they need him because they need someone determined, experienced, ruthless, and cunning. And he just flat out looks and says, indisposable. <laughs> and you're just, they're just like, no, you'd be no use to us dead. Hmm. And he has this little cackle or little chuckle at the idea of rescuing the doctor. And again, it's just such a shitty and smug grin. It's great, isn't it? And it's all used as well, and, I think, heart with Oh, yeah. Intense. Really, but Anthony Ainley and, and Patrick Trout do steal the show for me. Yeah, so good, absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, we do get a bit of silliness now, though. I think <laughs> with, with, the, with the Doctor's body. Um, well, no, the, with, with... The, the Peter Davison's body that keeps disappearing and reappearing. Oh yeah, there is that. There is that. When when Tegan's turning around and going, look, when nothing's actually happened yet. And then he disappears <laughs> and reappears. That was a bit of a timing issue there, I think, you know. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. But I'm talking about uh going back to the first doctor. And oh, Susan, yes. And they're in this mirror maze thing. And the doctor devises a plan. And he says, When I say now, we push the Dalek down this alleyway. And when I say drop, what do we do? We drop. Jump. Right. Okay, okay. And uh sorry? You jump. <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> so that's what happens. They basically sneak up behind one of the most you know, intimidating, scary, killing machines ever and just give it a bit of a nudge down an alleyway, drop to the floor, it shoots its gun, the laser bounces around a bit and blows itself up. So I mean, to me, that was a bit shit. It's a very weak way for, a, for an unstoppable killing machine to end. Mm-hmm. The one thing they did do right, though, was the actual explosion of the Dalek and seeing the creature inside, and then that actually blowing a hole in the in the maze for them to get out. Yes, I thought that would the end. The end result is good, but did the ends justify the means? It was. It was just oh, shit. Get it in the corner and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, they notice the the dark tower, so the Doctor decides we well, must be on Gallifrey then. 
And that's when they decide we're going to head towards the tower. And as you said, Dan, it's kind of what all the doctors in turn decide to do, isn't it? They all decide yeah. they're, they're all going to head towards the tower. They do. And we can, next we get the, uh, we get Troughton and the Brigadier and get your bingo cards out folks. Cause they're walking around a quarry. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're having a bit of a bicker as they always do, you know, saying that the Brigadier saying that the doctor always attracts, uh, attracts trouble. And the clock of Cyberman in the fog in the di- a little way in the distance and sort of hide near a wall. But another Cyberman reaches through the hole and grabs a Brigadier's arm. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor smashes it with a pipe and they run away. <laughs> well, what got me was he's he's got hold of the Brigadier's arm and obviously they're you know, crazy, super strong machines. He's crushing his arm, obviously. The Brigadier's yelling in pain. The Doctor, he's looking for something to use. He's trying to help his mate out. But he takes the time to stop and pat the Brigadier on the shoulders and go, don't worry, Brigadier, I'll sort it out. And it's like, yeah, don't, <laughs> don't, don't tell me you're going to do that. Just do it, you know? <laughs> I, I can feel the bones in my arm touching each other. <laughs> yeah. My forearm is now literally dust inside my sleeve. Can you just, like, hurry that up? <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I'm disappointed in myself. I, I tried desperately and thought for ages to try and get a glory hole joke out of this, but I just couldn't do it. Oh, mate. Couldn't figure it out. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm Le- sorry, guys. I'm must be tired this weekend, but we'll just put it down to that, shall we? Wow, well, I blame the beer festival on Friday. <laughs> uh, the third doctor, and well, the third doctor's driving along. And, this and is where we, we get, get Sarah Jim being a fucking liability. Oh, my goodness. This is. Uh, this is not good at all. But the the third doctor's driving along, and Sarah. Well, effectively, he and Sarah Jane are going to pair up, and that's going to be that combination heading towards the tower. But when the third doctor finds Sarah Jane, she has a bit of a stumble and falls down. What can only be described as a little bit of a bump in the road, maybe. It's it's a it's a very small hill. Yeah, I think Hill is doing it too much of a you know height justice there. It was a grass verge off a road. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. So, I mean, apparently, the original script was calling for her to fall off a cliff here. Hence, why the doctor would have the rope and Bessie and haul her back up and so on. But budget restraints meant they couldn't do that. So she had to fall down this tiny little verge. And if anyone watches the Five Doctors, which I hope people who listen to this podcast do, and I know some people watch it back to coincide with listening to our show, which is fantastic. If, if if people watch this scene, it's it's just so ridiculous because she falls down this verge and just rolls and rolls and rolls like an Italian centre forward in the World Cup, just getting into the penalty box. You know, fifteen <laughs> rolls. It's just absolutely insane. And then when the doctor manages to tie the rope around her and pull her up, the rope is slack. There's no real taut or, or tightness to the rope, and Sarah Jane effectively just crawls up the verge herself. When in reality, she probably could have just stood up Good and walked. put her up. And put her arm up and gone, give us a hand, mate. And just, you know, that would have been that, you know? But yeah, apparently the, the, the original script called for her to basically fall off a proper, decent-sized cliff. Now, the international release of The Five Doctors, for some markets, it was broken into three or four episodes. So you had cliffhangers taking part in certain episodes. Or this, slightly steep grass verge hangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was one of those cliffhangers, Dan. So in certain countries, I think it might have been for the Australian market, but I'm not 100% sure on that, but there were certain markets internationally. This would have Sarah Jane falling down that tiny little grass verge. We'd have had the music hit and everyone going, oh no, what's going to happen to Sarah Jane? She might get grass stains on her knees or something, you know, (laughs) a peril. (laughs) (laughs) 
there might be there might be a pile of dog shit there from somebody who was walking a dog earlier on. <laughs> Mate, the risk of pink eye is huge on Gallifrey. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You don't want Gallifrey and Pink Eye, Jesus. No, Gallifrey and Pink Eye, why? That's the worst type. That's another bad. the size of the dog there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. What what type of music would Gallifrey and Pink Eye play? I feel like it'd be like like Red Hot Chili Peppers, but every song's about shit. Some sort of really odd funk crossed rock effort sort of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, um, I, think, yeah. uh, well, I do have a question Sorry. here, though. I do have a quick oh, question. God. Do we still do we have to keep talking about this bullshit bit? <laughs> no, it's not literally just this bit. It's it's in general whenever we see Bessie, okay? Why has the death zone in Gallifrey got tarmacked roads? Reasons. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know. There's got to be some sort of maintenance at some point, hasn't there? Uh, it's just the the roads are like they're just proper earth roads. You can see that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I understand that there's a budget and they want Bessie involved and you know and all that sort of stuff. But I'm looking at it and I'm thinking at one point I'm pretty certain you can see like a little fence for keeping sheep in, in a field in the distance on one of the hills. And but when you see John Pertwee's scenes because he's in that area with the car, isn't he? I reckon that they started out scooping sheep just to test it out decided to leave the sheep there as a food source for other creatures that they were going to chuck, you know, going to chuck in there to play the game of wrestling and I'll fight it out. Right. And they put the roads in later on because they decided to scoop up some tanks. You're so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. And but it I, works. And, that, it and, yet that is, and yet that is still better than Sarah Jane falling down that slight, oh, that slight incline. God. It's cringe, mate. That bit is so cringe. But oh, then so you, okay, no, okay, the thing is, the cringe doesn't stop because next we're back with the first doctor and Susan. And mm-hmm. The first doctor wants to rest. You know, he's an old man. He need, needs a minute. And she just find out. But effectively, she says she'll scout ahead. Uh, she takes three paces, <laughs> looks in front of her, and oh, there's the TARDIS. As if they couldn't see that from where they were already. Yeah, and this massive flat plain. There's no hills. She's not gone up a. She's not gone up a really dangerous grass verge that Sarah Jane has just fallen down or anything. She's like, <laughs> she's just. <laughs> she's literally just turned her head and gone. Oh, look over there. They're walking along a moor. Yeah, um, it's just. Well, there it is. Brilliant. And you know they just walk in, make themselves at home, mm. have a little, have, have the sort of vague comedy of uh, why are you in my TARDIS? Well, it's his TARDIS. Ooh, you know, to regenerations meeting, and it's just I did quite like the way that, that the first Doctor looked at the fifth and just sort of regarded it. Hmm, good grief. What kind of shit? Yeah. Some that I pick up on here, though, is the Doctor obviously introduces Susan and the Fifth Doctor. <laughs> so, yes, I know. Now, this is the first time the Fifth Doctor would have seen his granddaughter in decades, and he just doesn't look arsed. He's not bothered at all. He's just like, yeah, I know, Susan. Hiya. You know, <laughs> he's just not bothered at all. It's it's an odd one, isn't it? It's a really odd one. But the thing is, it's never established whether Susan's a Time Lord or not. Hmm. It's never established how many regenerations she's had or anything like that. You'd expect this to be a first, the first incarnation. If she is a time lord, if she is in fact his granddaughter and not just some random child that he that he kidnapped, 
I did like with the introductions though, I did like when Tegan just for some reason feels the need to say to the first doctor, who, who might you be? And he, he's caught sort of quite justified because he's effectively just been insulted in his own house. Mm-hmm. He says, I might be any number of things, young lady. As it happens, I am the doctor, the original, you might say. And just like, yeah, fuck you. I was here first. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I like the way as well that the fifth doctor jumps straight away to Tegan and apologizes for the first doctor's kind of outdated mindset when it comes to uh, to ladies and saying that she has to go make the tea and he's a bit of a grumpy git and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and he said, oh, I used to get a bit tetchy, but fortunately one mellows with age. Mm. And uh, we've referenced it on the show before. It's um, Peter Capaldi did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, in his run when he met when he met the first doctor again yeah another nice nod to the five doctors i think um and then we get um <laughs> i quite like this bit this next bit with the with the high council and the master it very much felt like they were, they were giving him his pack up and sending him off to his first day of big school yeah <laughs> they gave him the seal of the high council so he can convince the doctor of his intentions to help um, yeah. You know, spoiler alert, that don't go well. And um, <laughs> he, he's also given what looks like a yo-yo or a, a, a push bike bell, maybe. But it's actually a recall device for the transmat. It is. And then they gave him his pack up, asked him if he needed a wee. Made sure, made sure he'd already box. been to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he asked if he had two, two, he asked if he had one through bar two in his pack up and uh, <laughs> got sent on his way. Yes, so off he off he blasts in his in his transmat beam or you know extra powered transmat beam, however it was worded. That sounds like a that sounds like some sort of muscle car from the seventies. <laughs> transmat, <laughs> the, the, the transmat beam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it goes faster because of the stripes. <laughs> yeah, well, once we're done with uh, once we're done with Gallifest, we're going to set up a uh, Gallifrey car garage. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Transmat beam. There we go. Yeah, now, I always quite like the next bit because it gave me more information on Rassilon, mm-hmm. um, which I know before I watched this the first time around, didn't have a clue who Rassilon was. Don't know if he'd been mentioned in Doctor Who up to this point or anything. Um, I think he'd been seen or and this is all new to me as well. I think. Oh, fair enough. Um, but we get some good exposition basically from uh, from Patrick Troughton. Um, basically saying that the death zone was was you know from a shameful part of history um, in the days before Rassilon Time Lords had tremendous powers which they misused disgracefully um, so the wall they often put an impenetrable force field because it was basically an arena for mm. the Time Lords to scoop beings out of their timeline and, and make them fight to the death I suppose um, kind of like that war games that we watched in a way isn't it yeah yeah it was Huh. I wonder actually then, because they had the fog as well. Because if you remember, the, the Cyberman was seen in the fog, and then mm. it was foggy when uh, John Pert we ran into Sarah Jane. I mm. wonder if there was, a, and obviously the fog was a big part of the war games. I wonder if it was meant that was meant to be a callback to uh, to war games, but not something they had the budget to to keep in or to yeah, produce maybe. properly. Oh, we'll have to look into that. I hope so. <laughs> well, we, say, we say that, but I'm going to forget. So. Yeah, I won't do it either. So. I'm sure somebody out there who listens to the show will and then tweet us because our listeners are fantastic like that. Rob. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's um, been basically say that Trout says, you know, explain as we go. And they're off to the tower. Uh, 
Rasselon's the single greatest figure in time world history. And this is Brigadier, is that where he lives? Not quite Brigadier, that's his tomb. Yeah, brilliant. Again, Triton, fantastic again. Just the way he delivers yeah. those lines, kind of. Uh, it, it, it is kind of like he's just a silly old man, but he's also got this air of authority about him at the same time. And that's incredibly difficult to, to sort of put across, I think. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're 99% sure he's a lunatic. Yeah. But you're still going to go along with it because he seems to know roughly know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And it all works out in the end. Yeah, exactly. It's just great. It's great. Not as well as when the master finds one of um, one of the two corpses that were sent before him and nearly gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those laser bolts just coming out of the sky like randomly all over the place. Uh, but the master then, all, of course, bumps into the third Doctor and, and Sarah Jane. And yeah. you know he just he just gives him a bit of a shout. He's he's behind a rock and he steps out from behind the rock and goes, "Yoohoo, Doctor!" Uh, <laughs> Tax, taxi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the Doctor stops and uh, they have a bit of a conversation. And this is where the Doctor basically has a look at the the seal of the High Council and is like, "Yeah, if this is real, you've nicked it, mate. I'm having this back." Yes. Yeah, first he says it's a forgery, then he says it's nicked, and then he just pockets it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's that. And I think this is the point now where everybody's, so all the different parties are saying that they're going to the tomb because we've even seen uh, the first and fifth doctors debating it as well. Yes. Because uh, they think somebody's tapping into Rassilon's power, which will obviously be dangerous. And the, the more I think about this, because the time was mentioned about the Eye of Harmony being drained, and that doesn't really get mentioned again. No. The fifth doctor's worried about the. Um, the power of Rassilon being tapped into. And there's just a few bits where it's just like, they don't take a second just to say, well, that theory was wrong. Or to, you know, to, to obviously move on. So that's yeah, a bit of a nitpick, really, I suppose. Kind of left open-ended, I suppose, with some stuff. But when you want a conclusion to it. Yeah, but to be fair, this, I'm only thinking of this on my fourth or fifth watch of this. So it is a nitpick and not something you really notice as you're going through. No, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the fifth Doctor is going to head off to the tower with Susan and Tegan. And the first Doctor is staying in the TARDIS with our scruffy pal Turlo. And <laughs> when that decision is made, we then go back again to the second Doctor, who is singing a nursery rhyme about how to enter the tower to try and remind himself of, of the entry points from a nursery rhyme from when they were younger. The Brigadier brilliantly here laughs at his singing and says, Doctor, are you in pain? I enjoyed that. That was cool. Yeah, yeah I did like it. Also, I was just going to say, when you mentioned about Turlo, not only is he is he useless, he's lazy. Yes. Just decided to stay behind, have a chat with the with the Doctor and you know, the first Doctor and ultimately do pretty much fuck all in this in this hour and a half. Yeah, that's um, basically what happens now. Turlo does jack shit apart from, you know, stand there looking scruffy. Yeah. Pretty much, um, but, but again, Troughton steals the steals the show again. You know, he's speculating if Rassilon summoned them, and the Brigadier saying isn't Rassilon dead? He said yes, but nobody knew the extent of his power. He could still be alive and watching. The official history say he was good. Others say the Time Lords exiled him into the Tower, an eternal sleep for his cruelty. You know, we could be playing Rassilon, the game of Rassilon, right at this very moment. Mm. And it, it's just it adds a bit of peril to everything, but yeah. because it's framed in speculation. It doesn't have. It doesn't suffer in the way that the stuff that um, uh, that Peter Davidson or the other uh, the Time Lord Council were saying, in that they presented it as fact as this was what's happening. 
but Trout's speculating, therefore it's adding the questions to the viewer's mind and yeah. keeping the intrigue. Um, I thought it was really good, really, really good. And, and the, the nursery tower, uh, sorry, the nursery tower, the nursery rhyme is the go to the tower. You know, who unto Rassilon's tower would go must choose above between below. And I love that. And then the brig asks if he's in pain. And he said, just reciting a nursery rhyme. And he said, does that help? And he said, significantly more than you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love the, the bickering between them. It's great. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. the, the combinations here are all a little bit different as well of what was originally planned. I mean, because yeah. Jamie was supposed to be in, in, involved a lot more than he is, but couldn't get the time away from filming other things. I think he was, was he on Emmerdale at that point? I'm not sure, but he, no, he couldn't get the time away. Uh, there was other companions asked as well. And when the fourth doctor basically didn't you know want to be part of this, everything had to kind of be shuffled around. And the brigadier was supposed to be with the third doctor rather than Sarah Jane being with the third doctor. And I believe Sarah Jane was supposed to be accompanying Tom Baker. And there's lots of different moving parts that ultimately they had to reshuffle at the story, at the, at the scripting stage because of Tom Baker and a few other people even not wanting to take part or not being able to take part. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, Susan and Tegan with the fifth doctor is an interesting one. And then yeah. later on, Tegan with the first doctor is a very interesting one. Cause that's, you know, at the time that's current with original, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's always going to be interesting dynamic. And weirdly, the we- the weakest one for me, the weakest pairing is, um, John Pertwee and Sarah Jane. Yeah. They've got one of the, they've got one of the least, in- inter- least interesting sort of paths to get to the, to get to the tower. It only gets good right at the end their journey because they're basically skirting mountains and the sea cybermen and that's it until they get up to the top of the thing and and you know do what they do but you know even um even even old turlo and and the first doctor in the uh, in the tardis have um no it's it's sorry who's it's turlo and susan eventually are left in the tardis even they have a better bloody you know, more peril and, and stuff yeah. like that. A bit more interesting going on, but yeah, a lot of moving parts. But it's it's fun to see a few of the a few of the combos. It but, is. Um, we've it is. we've missed. I'm trying to go back now because we've missed a bit of uh, a little bit of wee woo beep poop. I think, but I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember where I'm trying to scan through. Um, oh, that's it. The uh, the found two more blips on the scanner. Turlos finally got a, a point. He can he can recognise blips. Yeah, um, yeah. Well the, done. The, yeah, the two more. Doctors. You're helping, honest. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's because the the scanner is key. To, the way that um, the way the first doctor says it's great. The, the scanner is key to my to our brain patterns. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I just thought again explaining it didn't really need to be there, but I'm glad it was. Yeah, little, just little touches like that. I enjoy that as well. Uh, the fifth doctor again is is encountered out in the in the fields uh, and so on by the master he gives a little shout and a wave again doctor hello it's me and uh, <laughs> yeah so the doctor nips over to see him he's he, you know by this stage the master is sporting a lovely kind of count dracula-esque cape effort and mm-hmm. um one thing about the master that you got to admit especially back in the day always a sharp dresser yeah absolutely might be evil dresses well yeah. but like uh, a camera vast you have watched the tv series hannibal no, never seen um, Mads Mikkelsen played uh, Hannibal Lecter. Obviously, evil bastard, serial killer, cannibal, eight people. 
Mm-hmm. Always dressed in a very sharp suit. Very so jealous of his wardrobe. Is, what we're saying is don't trust people in suits. I could go on a very political rant there, but I'm not going to bother. Yeah, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, the, the fifth monster and the master are having a bit of a convo. Sarah, uh, Susan and... Tegan are just sort of a little bit further away on a, on a grass verge, you know. Hopefully they don't fall, but they're just watching um watching them have a little bit of a chat and have a bit of a catch up. And then a Cyberman just ambles around the corner, sees them, and goes ah before turning around and going back to the other Cybermen. If, if the way he just sort of quietly shuffled off, it felt like he'd gone like gone too early and gone too early for his cue and just like, oh, shit, hang on. <laughs> I'll just get out the way. Uh, but, um, he, goes, but this... he goes back to the other Cybermen, Dan, doesn't he? There's like, there's like five or six of them there, I think, isn't there? Something like that. Yeah. And funnily enough, with these two, uh, with the Cyber Lieutenant, who's the Cyberman there, and the uh, the Cyber Leader, um, Mark Hardy played the, uh, the regular Cyberman. He was... Also, a Cyberman in Earth Shock in 1982 and Silver Nemesis in 1988, and he wow. also played a, a swampy warrior in The Power of Crawl in 1978. Amazing. And then David Banks, who played the Cyber Leader, was also the same role in Earth Shock in 1982 and Silver Nemesis in 1988, and came back to Doctor Who in 2008, doing the similar, doing the same voice uh, for the audio series Doctor Who: The Ultimate Adventure. Amazing! I love it. So yeah. good, man. So good. Uh, the the the, the Cybermen though are given their orders because you know they they decide that uh, they want to capture the Time Lord to help them pilot the TARDIS uh, and so on. So they they must be thinking, how do we get off this planet and out of this death zone as well? They don't know what's going on. To be fair to the Cybermen, they get a bad rap, don't they? The Cybermen, they're in the same boat as the Doctor. You know, they're just a bit more murdery. Yeah, a little bit more murdery, a little bit more sinister. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I did notice is that out of the, you know, take away the two main Cybermen, they're the leaders, and you've got the sort of five or six other ones. If you look, I think it's more to the left-hand side of the screen. One of them is really, really small. I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> it's little, like, baby, little baby Cyberman. Yeah, little tiny little Cyberman there, yeah. little Tiny little dinker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And if there's one thing Cy knows about, it's tiny little dinkers. Tiny little cyber dinkers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but they, all, all of them, even the little one, walks around the corner and they start shooting at the Doctor and the Master. The Master ends up sort of getting an explosion near him, knocks him out, and the Doctor uses the gold yo-yo to transport to the Inner Council. It's kind of what we get in this scene, isn't it? Pretty much, in a nutshell, yeah. And, uh, what I'd like is when the master's down and the doctor's just like, should I help him or shall I rob him? I'm going to rob him. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets the golden yo-yo, presses the, and he says, sorry, moustache, as he's surrounded yeah. by a Cyberman, presses it and he's gone. And that was a, a great line. But there's little bits in this scene that, um, between the master and the doctor that I really like. Like when he, the master says he's there to help and, the doctor just looks at him and says, well, like Alice, I tried to believe three impossible things before breakfast. Um, <laughs> which is the kindest, which is the sort of the, the real, the nicest way of saying you're full of shit, pal. Um, Peter Davidson, if you watch Peter Davidson's stories that we, we, the ones we've already seen and ones that I've also seen elsewhere, it is that kind of, 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Or youthfulness to it, maybe, or uh, sort of cheekiness to it of, of how he delivers those lines with a little smile on his face, and it's like, yeah. But you know, he's, he's doing exactly what you just said. He's calling mm. him a bullshitter, but it's just a little cheekiness and the grin to it. Peter Davidson's fantastic at that. He really is. Yeah, uh, he outright calls the master out as well because the master points out that his arm could kill him if he wanted to, and then Doctor Wilson, not humiliate me first. Oh, that's not your style. <laughs> yeah, and you know just stuff like that. It's really nice and just really nice touch. And then you've got C- uh, Tegan and Susan in the background saying, you know, Susan's asking if the Master's a friend of the Doctor's because she doesn't know who the Master is at this point. Mm. She's never met him, you know. And she, Tegan is hardly so well. They're talking like the friends, and that's what worries Tegan. It's just like, ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, if the Doctor and the Master are being civil, some shit is going down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Something I didn't enjoy is that obviously Tegan and Susan they have to you know leg it back to the TARDIS because the, the fifth Doctor has disappeared. Bloody Susan falls over again. Twenty <laughs> years, twenty years on from the Dalek invasion of Earth, and she still can't fucking run. What's wrong with this girl? That ankle hasn't been right since ever since. Yeah, they need some death water, the corpse water, don't they, to wash it off with? Oh, God, it was... I just thought, literally looked at it, watched it. I'd forgotten that she fell over. She fell over, and I thought, fucking again, really? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Susan, sort your shit out, for God's sake. I imagine sake. It's, it's, it's part of the criteria to be a Doctor Who companion, isn't it? You know, I imagine the Doctor... We, we don't see it on telly, but I imagine the Doctor might hold interviews, and he has to sit mm-hmm. and down, okay, can you scream? Um, can you wear certain clothing to keep the dads entertained when they're watching the show? Uh, do you fall over a lot? How are you at running? I imagine that's the, that's the process for interviewing for a, a companion. Sorry, I'm going to take a moment there because nearly made a fucking awful joke. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you after. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it could be, you know, uh, basically what do you do that will make me look better yeah. or even better than I already am? Yeah. I can believe that. Um, but it was completely unnecessary as well. They could have just shown her running, set off running and that, and then cut, but they felt the need to put a Susan falling over mm-hmm. in the show. It was pointless. Um, yeah. Um, obviously, that leads to her being stuck in the TARDIS, doesn't it? The Master is trying to form a, a, an alliance with the Cybermen, but now yeah. that basically because Turlo is a dick and he's lazy and Susan has injured herself, we're only left now with Tegan to go with the first doctor to the tower. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. And, uh, the fifth doctor is now on Gallifrey. Mm. And he's, you know, thinking he's done the master disservice and it changes everything. Who's misusing the death zone. Who's got control of the time scoop. It must be a high ranking time Lord. Cause they also scoop Cybermen in. And even in the most corrupt period, they never allowed Cybermen to play the game because like Daleks to play too well. Play it too well. Oh, that is a good line, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was good, but you know, we, we've now got this added thing of being of someone being a traitor, you know, high-ranking time of being a, a traitor. Um, the Doctor finds a homing beacon in the uh, in the Golden Yo-Yo recall device, and that's how the Cybermen found them. You know, the one thing the Master would always keep on him. At which point, the Lord President accuses Castellan and orders his. Um, or does his living quarters searched? Yeah, so it's all sorry for this dude, man. Yeah, it's a lot of shit. What's happened, what happens to Castellan? It really is bad. Um, so it, it, what follows now is very much jumping around 
and the the three doctors who are on the ground trying to get to the tower all at various stages of converging. Um, so if you don't mind me, I'm just going to run through very quickly bits and pieces that happen because it is, it's like watching a Kevin Dunn, Kevin Dunn film, WWE match. It's camera cut after camera cut after camera oh, yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of jumping about, a lot of things. I mean, one thing I do want to talk about is the... Uh, the, the the sort of robots that the third doctor encounters. Oh, we'll get there very quickly. Yeah. So just okay. just very quickly, after we get the stuff with the fifth doctor, we're back in the TARDIS. Susan's worried about how slowly uh, her octogenarian grandfather and Tegan are moving. Great. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe if you could stand your feet for more than ten paces, this wouldn't be a problem. But here we go. Liability. Uh, there's a bang on the TARDIS, and the sidemen are trying to blow it up, or trying to blow the doors off, or whatever. Um, Troughton and Brigadier in the tunnels under the tower, they're being pursued by something that's growling and sounds very large, very fierce, and very hungry. And then we get to the third Doctor and Sarah Jane, Pertwee and Sarah Jane. They're climbing up what appears to be a dead end, then they've got to go up higher, despite Sarah Jane having vertigo, but they can't go back to the sidemen, blah, 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 blah. And then they stop because they see what can best be described as a guy in a silver morph suit with a spray-painted gimp mask. And it's called a Raston Warrior Robot, which is apparently the most perfect killing machine ever devised, when in reality, it looks like a bad audition for Power Rangers. They allegedly move so so quickly it can move in and out of your view. And it's got built-in weaponry, so it essentially fires these like big bolts or arrows out of its hands, and its sensors detect any movement. So naturally, the first thing Sarah Jane does is start moving. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Yep. And so they just have to hide, basically. But what you said you wanted to talk about it, mate. Let's talk about old, uh, old, old Silver Gimp. It's just a dude in an all-over Lycra costume. It's just... It's like a really shit Power Ranger. It's like... It's like if you take... You know, you wash your colours in with your whites and everything kind of comes out a bit gray and a bit off. That's what's <laughs> happened to this guy's costume. And he's shooting these, what we find out are supposed to be arrows, but it looks like just yellow sticks. It looks like he's mugged a shit ton of blind people and took their sticks for them walking along. And he's just shooting them out of his wrists at the Cybermen. It's, it's just so silly. It really is. It's crap. Um, th- there's a few more bits and pieces that happen between this, but while we're on the Roston Road, ro- but we may as well just carry on with it because the Cybermen are following the Doctor and, and Sarah Jane. And as soon as the Cyberman appears, it gets a bolt right through the head, which, and if, and fair play to them, in all this bit, when they're blowing up the bits of Cybermen, it looks good. Yeah, yeah. I like it. It looks good. The Roston robot looks shit, but the head's bloody really good. The, the Roston um, robot, it looks like you could almost put some kind of cheesy 90s dance music to it whenever it cuts to him because he's shooting these things out of his arms and he's like, dun, 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 dun. and then he jumps across somewhere else and does another little bit of a dance and then jumps across somewhere else and does another little bit of a dance the whole time shooting these, you know, these canes out of his wrist. It's like a college theatre student's first go at interpretive dance. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what about the <laughs> Cybermen throwing up, though? Throwing up? 
the Cybermen throwing up, yeah. The, the, the stuff all coming out of their mouth pieces, like the, when they were getting shot by these, these arrows. Oh, yes, yeah. I thought it was brilliant. Like, how, you know, it could be like hydraulic fluid or God knows what. Just, yeah, great stuff. Everything they did, you know, with the, even at one point, it looked like one had got a bolt had gone right through one of these Cybermen's arms. Yes. I thought they did a great job with that. You can tell where a lot of the budget went. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the Roston robot looks shit. But it's a bit of fun, and it's probably the best mo- best moment of Pertwee and Sarah Jane's um, journey to the tower. Mm. What I don't get is, though, they say that the Roston robot has all its armaments and weapons built in. Why has it got spare, ro- uh, spare arrows just on the side? Maybe it's not his. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's I not mine, honestly. I'll just hold it for a friend. Yeah, it makes. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't need these extra performing performance enhancing things. It's just nice to have in case of you know, in case of yeah. out. It's it's just one of those things again where, and there's a few we've already touched on a few, and there's probably going to be a few more that they're almost like little plot holes, aren't they? That don't quite make sense because what we've already been told. It's, but it doesn't the, really matter. Yeah, sorry, I'll keep trying to cut you off. Sorry, I'm a bit eager, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> it's those things you see in movies and films where it's kind of, where you just sort of sit and go bit convenient yeah yeah but it's not quite a plot hole but it is just a bit convenient yeah because the third doctor and sarah jane uh, basically when they finally make it past the the, the dance in lycra dude they take some of these arrows and and ropes and cables and so on just in case they're needed which of course they are so uh, yeah but i think i think pert was had this in mind all along because he's already said about the mountains and they're always going uphill and Mm. And all the rest. I think he knows roughly what he wants to do, and that's it's kind of a very pertwee thing to do, isn't it? You know what yeah. we're going to do? We're going to go right to the top, and we're going to zip line in. It'll be badass. Yeah, like a proper action man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but while wearing a frilly shirt. Um, <laughs> so while all this is going on, again, jumping around a little bit, so I'll, I'll just sort of skip through. Mm-hmm. We're back at. Um, what was it? We've got Tegan in the first Doctor, and she's saying, "Come on, Doc, you can make it." You know, and he t- sort of takes umbrage with that, and he's like, "Of course I can, young lady," and kindly refrain from calling me Doc. Yeah, I like that. Which, really defiant by the Doctor and Cross, wasn't he? Yeah, but I think Tegan knew it'd do that to him, and it'd get him to get a shift on. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the council chamber. There's a chest that's been found in the Castellan's room that has the Black Scrolls of Rassilon, which is forbidden knowledge from a dark time, and they are booby-trapped because they mm-hmm. can bust at a touch. That's seen as proof enough that the Castellan is behind everything. And he's protesting his innocence, but he'll face the interrogation with the mind probe. But as he's led out, we hear a scream. And the walkout and the Castellan's been murdered. Well, he's been shot. And there's a gun next to him, which we didn't see him have beforehand. Mm. So it's all, you know, the guard with him says, well, he was... He was armed and he tried to escape, so I shot him. Uh, yeah. It very much feels like a setup. Yeah, and it also it, it's it's different for me watching now as a grown up than what I watched when I was nine years old or however it, however old I was when I had the video. When I was a kid and I ever rewatched this, for some reason, I always thought that he killed himself to avoid the mind probe. That's how I took it as a child. Yeah. Because he was so terrified of the mind probe and his reaction when they said about that and the doctor saying, don't use the mind probe, let me talk to him. That was my my takeaway from it as a child. Now, being a grown-up and re-watching it, I know that's not correct. And you've explained yeah. there that they have that conversation. But as a kid, 
I don't know whether my mind just sort of, you know, made up its own conclusions. I don't know. But yeah, as a kid, I thought he killed himself. You, you may never, I don't believe your mind did, your mind did do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very dark, um, very dark scene, to be mm. honest. Because a lot of this up to now has been, it's been a little bit fun and, and some of it's been a little bit silly and whatnot. But yeah, this is quite brutal when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and essentially now the Doctor isn't sort of hostage, but, you know, they're refusing to send him back because, you know, spare power's been used to to keep um, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, you know, where he is and make sure he doesn't, you know, fall through time or lost or whatever. Um, so the the fifth Doctor, Peter Davis, is effectively stuck there. Mm-hmm. And again, it does a complete 180 back into a bit of silliness because we're back with Troughton and the Brigadier in a cave. And uh, it's a Yeti. It is a Yeti. It is indeed. A it's very, a Yeti. Very badly lit and only occasionally filmed Yeti because apparently the Yeti costume was last used in 1967 or 68 or whenever that particular story was from. So when they dug the Yeti prop or the Yeti costume out of storage, I don't know if it got damp or something, but it was a mess. So they had to film it in bad lighting and only occasionally catch it on camera to try and hide the fact that their costume was actually just a bit of a bit of a wreck at this point <laughs> yeah well but again don't mind that it makes sense mm-hmm. you know and it, it serves the purpose so i can't criticize them too much for that but it's quite funny it's quite a funny story yeah and it's essentially the trout and the brigadier they think they've sort of backed into a corner uh for some reason the doctor has a firework in his pocket <laughs> yeah and, and a catapult <laughs> It reminded me of, if, you must have seen The Mask with Jim Carrey, right? Yeah. When the mask, when he's as the mask and he's getting, you know, having all his pocket and pockets emptied and he's like, you know, that's like a used condom and a rubber chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a, and a signed picture of the uh, of the detective's wife in a lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just reminded me of that. Um, but yeah, because of course the Trouton's got a firework in his pocket, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> he fires it at the Yeti, and it causes a, effectively a landslide. And it uh, just conveniently they've picked a point where they can actually squeeze past, and there's a little door into the tower. So yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, why not? It's just convenient, and they say themselves somebody wants us to go in here, which I thought was good because that convenient situation we had with Pertwee finding the arrows and the, the rope to use. That was, a, like you said, it was, oh, that was a bit convenient. Here, them happening across this door in this cave, the same cave that they ran into by chance, and, and it leads them straight into the location where they want to be. Just Triton saying, it appears somebody is trying to get us to enter here. Explained all the way. Perfectly done. Yeah, in one short sentence, it, yep. it's done. Yeah, and then... Uh, Again, jumping around, the, we see Turlo and Susan, the, the Cybermen are setting up more, and they're, you know, they're bringing something that looks suspicious, like a bomb that Susan works with, gives a bomb for another 20 minutes. Um, Sarah Jane, then we've got Sarah Jane and, and Pertwee and the Rast uh, and uh, Robot, which was just funny as hell. Mm-hmm. The, dance, the dance battle with the Cybermen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dance battle, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Then we have a bit of... Um, I suppose it's a bit more of the politics side of things with the Doctor walking with uh, with Chancellor Flavia mm. uh, on Gallifrey. They're both finding Castellan's death very suspicious and turns out the Doctor knew the Castellan very well and you know he was, he was filled with horror of the dark days and feared the scrolls and all of that. 
Yeah, he's so, not so, buying so. what he's what what he's being fed, is he? What what it appears at face value, the doctor's already kind of figuring out this this doesn't seem right. Yeah, um, so he's off to speak to the president. Um, then we get the the plan to make a zip line. Then we've got effectively all the all the first doctor has to do is ring a bell just to get in the tower. <laughs> yeah. You got you got John per John Pertwee abseiling down from a cliff with a girl who is you know suffering from vertigo. You've got the fifth doctor battling all over the place trying to get towards the tower and ending up on Gallifrey. You've got all these different companions struggling through different aspects of of their journey, and literally the first doctor is like, ah, I'll press this button. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> Avon. <laughs> um, what I do like though, at this point is that the master's obviously teamed up with the Cybermen mm-hmm. and he actually spots the third doctor's zipline. Yeah. And, and every time you see an exterior shot of the tower now, that zipline is there. They did a great job ensuring that that was there at the, every single time. And all the, because it quite obviously was like miniature sets at certain points. Yes. Which, Yes, I I think they look good. I like. Yeah, them. I think they did really well. I mean, even when you see when Sarah Jane and the Third Doctor have made it across to the top of the tower, and the tower does move a little bit, it, where it's been superimposed, or, or the background's moving a little bit, where it's not quite in sync, I suppose. But mm. even that, still, I mean, it's nine eighty three. It still looks good. Yeah, still looks all right. But I do, I do like it when uh, Sarah Jane and Pertwee are on top on top of the tower, and they're there saying, uh, "You know, right? Are we going to get in?" And the doctor just opens the hatch. Yeah, it's not locked. <laughs> <laughs> again, security again. on Gallifrey is not a priority. <laughs> it's the death zone. If you've got this far, you deserve to just be able to lock in. Yeah, um, and then we've got an extended. Um, kind of game of chess yeah that was a funny one for me and one that i really vividly remember from when i was a kid but i mean again because the board is a chess board i massively remember this being a black and white chess board however when we watched it back for the podcast it's red and white so that threw me straight away first of all it's obviously the mandela effect my mind is tricking me to believe something different yeah but the line i mean effectively the 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 master is using the, this this board to kill off the cybermen that are with him the doctor figures out that you can walk across to the fifth row and then lasers come down and just destroy everyone that's on it so the master yeah. is 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 now going to use this it's sort of shepherd the the cybermen across and they all get blasted with the lasers and so in theory he's hoping then that he's going to be away from the cybermen who he doesn't trust and they don't trust him it's kind of a you know, a very sort of it's it's a lot it's a lot to get to where they get to. Yeah, it is. It you is. Know, it, it's effectively like you said, the do- first doctor spends all this time throwing coins. Mm-hmm. Then the master just runs across it after telling them to hide. And then he comes back, and so it's all fine. Then most of the Cybermen get electrocuted. And then the the master then the master say, oh, you know, he compares it to driving sheep across minefields. Yeah. Which I liked, and and that's one of the lines that really yeah. stood out. That that's one of the lines. And when when he when he runs across it and says, "Try it, Doctor. It's as easy as pie." The line about the sheep going across minefields and the pie line are two that really vividly stuck in my head as a kid. That have just never left me. They always just make me think of this scene when I hear you know anything like that. You know, it's making me think of the shepherd's pie I had for tea last night. <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, so they effectively figure out that, and I'm paraphrasing a lot because this goes on for a while. Yes, it does. Um, that they use the mathematical formula for pi to find the safe path, which I, I still don't know if that makes any sense. You know, no, they, don't, they don't. We will be the way out of it, and I can't be bothered to rationalise it because I don't want to think about maths. No, um, that's fair enough. But the first doctor and T can get across, and we're back with the fifth doctor then. And suspiciously, the Lord President isn't in his room, but none of his guards saw him leave. How did he do that? Dun dun dun! Suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Now, now we're effectively now the first, second, and third doctors are all in roughly the same level of the tower converging yeah. on the same place because it's they're all in a place now where they either see or feel like they're going to see hallucinations or there's you know there's illusions and phantoms or they feel a great sense of foreboding and it's effectively the mind of Rassilon trying to get them to to turn back yeah pushing them back trying to scare them away i suppose in a way isn't it yeah, I'll, I'll lure them into a trap because yeah. what I did like it, it was a great way to get them in. Um, Mike Yates and Liz Shaw turn up with um, with the third Doctor, and so you know there's someone you should see. And he's not that little fellow in the checkered trousers and the black frock coat. <laughs> yeah, it was great, but it's all very that you know. Then Mike tries to block the way mm. from the Doctor going back for uh, for Sarah Jane, figures out the phantoms or you know illusions. And as soon as they're discovered, they disappear. They start screaming, don't they? That that's quite it. Well, as a kid, that scared me. Yeah, it was it was very odd. Mm. And, and, and quite creepy. But we're but skirting it, around there, the, the, the third doctor's little sidestep to get away from the Phantom of Mike Yates. Good shimmy. Oh yeah, he could have played right wing for England with that. That was amazing. <laughs> He'd have been on a rugby pitch with a step like that. Yeah. I'm going Good this stuff. way. No, I'm not. <laughs> Drop the shoulder, off he goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the one with the second Doctor and the Brigadier is the one for me. This is this is the better of those scenes because we have Jamie and Zoe. I mean, Zoe for some reason is wearing an outfit made out of bubble wrap. But again, bunch <laughs> of restrictions, I guess. And I'm not even joking on this occasion. I know I make that bubble wrap joke quite often, all because there was one alien that was made out of bubble wrap in the 70s, and I just use that joke as a regular a regular point of reference. But she is literally wearing bubble wrap here. Yeah, it's crap in it. It is. <laughs> it's really bad. But I do like it, though. You know, they're saying, you know, don't come any closer. There's a force field. And if you break the force field, you'll kill us. Mm-hmm. It's so, such a simple thing. Yeah. And I love that. Obviously, the doctor goes through. You can see Troughton go through this. Oh, my God. How are you here? You know, what are you doing? Oh, I've got to, I need to save you. Yeah. I've got to save you. I've got to save you. I can't turn back. I've got to save you. Wait a minute. The time logs erased your memories. How do you know who we are? Mm. And he just steps forward, and the fans—you know—all he has to do is step forward, and the phantoms disappear. It's just great seeing the cogs turning in Troughton's head. Yeah, yeah, totally. Very, very clever. And there was supposed to have been a reference as well, apparently, to the Brigadier with one of the companions, one of mm. one of the uh, images appearing, one of these phantoms referring to him as the Brigadier. And one of the doctors would then reference back to say, "Well, hang on, when you knew him." he was only a, a colonel or a sergeant or something like yeah. that. And that was going to be another one. I don't know if that was written out of the phantoms they had or if they, if they had different plans in these script parts that didn't happen, but that was something I read earlier on as well, yeah. Very cool. And, and, all, and all, while all this is going on, uh, the first Doctor uh, doesn't give a shit because he's too old. <laughs> 
that's literally the excuse that they give for the first doctor not seeing any, uh, you know, any phantoms. Yeah. <laughs> outright says, at my age, there's not much left to fear. Yeah, I like that as well. It's you know, he's had a good run of it. To be fair, old yeah. old, old doctor number one. You know, all he's got to do is yeah, press I mean, a little bell to get in. Do you know what I mean? He had a yeah, bit of cake in the TARDIS earlier. Yeah, Mister Handel's not done too bad, has he? Yeah. Um, and while all this is going, while this is going on, the fifth doctor's in the president's quarters looking at a harp. Mm. And he, you know, he never knew that Rassilon or Barusa were musically inclined. He plays a note and hears something shift. Figures out it's effectively a musical key. A musical key. Yeah, with a combination key. of notes. Funny that, isn't it? A tune, he says. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Obvious. Yeah, <laughs> but I yeah. did enjoy the. I did really enjoy the moment where he twigs because he's playing around on the harp, isn't he? In, in future scenes, I know I'm jumping forward a little bit here, but he's playing around on the harp, trying to get whatever it does to activate. And he's wondering about which tune to play. What shall I do? How can I do this? And he has to sort of double take at the picture on the wall because yeah. there's a, an image of somebody, potentially Rassilon, playing this harp and there's sheet music that the, the character in the painting is reading from. And he's like, well, that might be it. And I thought that was quite clever. Yeah, I do like that. It's a clever little thing. And lo and behold, he plays the tune in a secret room that's got the boards and figures where, that Science Hands was playing with. Yeah, old science hands and his action figures. And the Lord President was behind it all. Yeah, he got away with it too, wasn't a few pesky Time Lords. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, because before all this, uh, the first Doctor and, uh, and Tegan walk into the tomb where Rassilon's body's lying. You know, like a, it's sort of raised up and there's like a carved... Mm-hmm. I don't know what you'd call it. It's a slab underneath him, because it's not a coffin. It's like I, just, it's like, I suppose it is just like a a sort of tomb isn't it because the body is inside yeah in when you see these like gloucester cathedral for example has these in it not with time lords on don't get me wrong but oh. there's like bodies inside those big concrete jobs yeah but this one's just laid on top yeah i, I don't know but anyway we get a classic um sort of doc the first doctor bit of arrogance when uh we arrive shortly after with Sarah Jean and he's just interested in what kept you and as if he's been there for hours what's happened to the little fellow the little fellow is quite alright thank you very much you uh, don't imagine great. anything you two can do would stump me do you it's so good Pertwee and, and Triton just little bickering and digs it's so good yeah, but then, you know, the Time Lords are examining this, the versions of the Doctor examining this little obelisk sort of thing with his writing on it. And then the Brigadier's left to say hello to the uh, to Tegan and to Sarah Jane again and get reacquainted. And Sarah Jane actually gets a great line in this. It says, typical, drag you off through time and space without so much as a buy or leave, then leave out and leave you out when things get interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Funny though, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> So the, the inscription on the thing says, I've got my tea soon as well. The inscription says, this is the tomb of Rassilon, where Rassilon lies in eternal sleep. Anyone who has got this far has passed a number of dangers and shown great courage and determination. To lose is to win, and he who wins shall lose. And promises that whoever takes Rassilon's ring, Giggity, will get immortality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the, at this point, the master gets to do is, is you know, like a classic villain dun 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 entrance and like that's yeah. all i needed to hear <laughs> yeah perfect timing that was amazing yeah another great line as well when the master says killing you once was never enough it's like how gratifying to do it three times over 
little bit let down here though when the master reveals he's got a gun or a weapon of some sort because he he's there being like you know all sinister and mastery and evil time lord and whatnot and then he just produces this little weapon and it's like haha look what i have <laughs> what i do like though is, is you just see the brigadier maneuver maneuver behind him yeah say, nice to see you again and just smacks him and knocks him just out. spins his jaw doesn't he go on brigadier yeah. go on brig get it and the sandman is still prepared to blow up the tardis Yes. Yeah. And Turlo is, of course, being a huge help as well when Susan says, what, 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 what should we do now? And Turlo just goes, die. So, yeah, brilliant. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start calling him Turdlo. Turdlo, yeah. What a loser. Um, yeah. <laughs> the dick. Oh, wow. it's a, we've got um, a bit of the master's restrained now and a bit of we will beat boop uh, the third uh, the third Dr. Pertwee's reversing the polarity of the neutron flow to free the TARDIS mm-hmm. and Trout's trying to get through to the capital luckily the TARDIS dematerializes just as Cyberman, the Cybermen detonate the bomb but unfortunately that means we get more Turlo and then we get the big um, sort of speech and sinister plan from the uh, the Lord President yeah Bond f- villain-esque isn't it it is a bit, yeah. But all the while, he's got this like silver and pink crown on, yeah, and a, and a sinister black robe. It's, it's it's kind of Bond villain book camp. Yeah, Ming the Merciless kind of vibes. To be honest, there's a few Flash Gordon vibes around Gallifrey. The, the old Flash Gordon yeah. movie, you know, it felt very sort of you know, Flash Gordon around Gallifrey's High Council. Maybe they were big fans. You never know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But it, yeah, it's yeah. A, it, not Rassilon. What's his name? Bruce has been following. Um, you know, things like the, found the game, the control room, the scrolls, the coronet, um, but not found the secret of immortality. And we basically, there's a lot of drawing backwards and forwards, and effectively this coronet gives him the ability to force people to his will, mm-hmm. you know, to bend to his will. And yeah, and he, he kind of takes control of the fifth doctor, doesn't he? Yeah, again, th- this sort of all ra- a lot happens now because we're into sort of like the last fifteen minutes here. Yeah, the last yeah. ten fifteen minutes, and a lo- again, a lot happens in a very short space of time, but none of it feels rushed. Yeah, which which is good to balance it quite well, um, because we effectively get the the TARDIS appears in the tomb. Troughton gets through to the Doctor in the President's chamber, but uh, Davison's uh, mind controlled. Mm-hmm. Basically says, "Don't do anything. We'll be there in a minute." Barus is taking control. Barus is in there. First thing he does is immediately freeze the companions. Yeah, with his with his magical hat powers. <laughs> does a second reveal of his evil plot to the rest of the doctors, and even then, um, Pertwee manages to get a dig in at Troughton because the first doctor and the third doctor were like, "Ooh, so much wrong there," and Troughton just like, "Is there?" but <laughs> 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 we just looked at him and just went and you were the one who didn't sense anything was wrong and he's just he's just taking a second to call him a dick yeah <laughs> he, he just comes across like he's happy to be there sometimes you know <laughs> yeah and then, and then we get um it, it was another thing where the doctor clo- the doctors close their eyes of magic happens a bit like you know the uh the, oh. the memory sharing and the info sharing Oh, mate, I'm not a fan of this. And, and the doctors are closing their eyes and stuff happens, because why not? Yeah, that, I, I'm not a fan yeah. of that at all. No, it's, it's not great, but I suppose it kind of makes sense in that they're all... 
essentially all the same brain, but there's yeah, but there's now four versions of it, so it's what is effectively one will going. And against... It overtakes the the power of the mind control that the president is using. So from that aspect, I suppose it does make you know story sense. It does make you know plot line sense. But I'm just not a fan of the more stood there, their eyes shut, like intensely thinking. It just looks a bit shit. <laughs> intensely thinking, I like that. <laughs> But then, and then, despite that, it, at least this makes the next bit less silly because a big old face appears mm. and the game of Rassilon begins. This is the game of Rassilon. There's two things that that reminded me of. One was the voice from Captain Scarlet when they talk about the Mistrons. Yeah. And two, when you're in an arcade, back, back, back when we were a kid, and it'd be like... This is the game of such and such. And be like, insert 50p for one credit. That kind see, of vibe, you know? See, I got more. The game of Rassilon begins. Lord President Barusa, come on down. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I quite like this. Yeah. But it's, you know, saying, you know, do you seek immortality? Are you sure? It's not too late to turn back. And he's so certain that that's what he wants. It's like, what of the others, you know, and they're just servants. And you've got Trout and Pertwee and, um, and Davis and all saying, that's, no, we're not, we're not servants, we're not servants. But the one who gets it is the first Doctor. Yeah, brilliant. And he said, disregard them, you know, we're just minions, we're, you know, whatever. And, you know, Barusa speaks the truth. And Rassilon asks the first Doctor if he believes Barusa should have immortality. And he says he does. So Rassilon says, take the ring. Confirm you take immortality and you won't turn back. And then we find out what immortality actually entails. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a curse, isn't it? it they yeah. Explain it away as it's a curse. And on the side of the concrete tomb thingy that we were talking about earlier on, there's three faces and an empty space. Mm. But the three faces have kind of come alive whilst this whole process is happening, but they're frozen at the same time. It's kind of weird. And to be honest, again, nine-year-old me found them creepy as shit. Well, they are. They are creepy. And it's but it's also kind of horrifying is that you will live forever, but you will be living behind this stone, unable to move, mm. unable to speak, and just forever conscious and effectively going mad. Yeah. And it's you know, he says he says others have come to claim immortality through the ages. It was given to them as it shall be given to you. And the ring appears back on Rassilon's hand, uh, and Barusa's face occupies the spare slot. Yep. And, uh, so what happens now then if somebody else looks for immortality? He's got no more spaces. Other side of the coffin. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. But then, you know, that's all quite sinister. And when you think about it a bit, you know, oh, Jesus, that is, that is bad. But then Rassilon asks if the doctors claim immortality and they're all just like, no, 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 we're good. Just, <laughs> we, just, we just we just want to go home. Yeah. yeah. And that's effectively what happens. There's no sort of grand goodbye, is there? Um, no. I mean, to be honest, this is where I sort of get the impression that Rassilon is a bit of a dude because he's, he's given out this curse to people who are obviously have bad intentions. Mm. And now he's basically turning to the doctor and all those companions as well. And he, he even mentions the fourth doctor who is still stuck in this vortex thing of me. He's like, don't worry about it. I'll fix it all. I'll send you all home. Our three or fourth incarnation. You know, he zips the master off somewhere. Rassilon's a bit of a dude. 
Yeah, but I like what I like what it says about the master as well. Is like his sins will be. Um, oh, what is it? Where, where is it? Da, 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 da. Great audio. This. I've <laughs> lost it. I've lost it. But it's something like you know his sins will you know will be will find their punishment in time or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I really liked, and then it's all just it's just a goodbye scene, effectively. Um, you know, you've got the the first doctor saying, I think it was the first doctor saying, you know, he's happy to see his future in good hands and, and bits and pieces like that. Um, yeah, a couple of little comedic moments with Trout and forgetting his coat and getting the brigadier to carry it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, but the brigadier has quite nice last words to him all as well. He just certainly reiterates, it's a splendid fellows, all of you. Yeah. And it's good, and it's good, because it is very stiff upper lip, but giving out the compliments is, you know. Uh, I like when the, the the Chancellor arrives and starts talking to the Doctor about his future, effectively, on the High Council. Yes, saying that the Council's enacted their emergency powers and voted unanimously for him to be Lord President. So he basically just says, right, you've got full deputy powers. I'm going to fly my TARDIS to get back to you. I'll, I'll do all that. I'll be back in a tick. And he just yep. fucks off. Yeah. He's, 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 like, he's, like a, he's like a deadbeat dad going to get a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's so cleverly done because Turlow and Tegan questioned the fifth doctor in the TARDIS, basically saying, well, that's it then. You'll you're, you're go in. You know, oh, they, they are thick. They are thick at this point. They don't understand what's going on at all. And he's like, no, I gave her full control until I return. I'm just not going to return, you know? So, it, you know, brilliant, clever little twist there. <laughs> and and the, the closing lines, I think, of this whole special are, are really good as well, because Tegan says, so you mean you're choosing to go on the run from your own people in a rackety old TARDIS? And the Doctor just responds, well, why not? After all, that's how it all started. And then the music hits, and that's that. And it's just that ending, I think, is a brilliant way of ending a anniversary special throwing right back to the very first you know reason for the sh- reason for the, the show to be made i guess reason why the doctor is traveling yeah it's, it's a really beautiful ending I, I really do like it to be honest just to jump the gun a little bit i just like this episode overall i just like this special overall mm-hmm. i really enjoy it. it's got we've got this you know nitpicky bits and pieces that you notice as you go through for like the fifth time or whatever but overall i just bloody love it yeah, I mean that was it. I was, I was basically going to say to you, for, you know, in summary, then as we sort of come to the end of our our episode here. But if you just love it, then fantastic because I feel the same. There's a few plot issues, I guess. It feels a little bit like with the Dalek and then some of the Cybermen action and and all that sort of stuff. It feels a little bit like they threw everything in the pot, almost like a band playing a greatest hits tour. We you want to see the hits. You want to see. You know, you want to see the, the the reasons why you fell in love with this in the first place. I mm. feel like they've done that a little bit, and some of it didn't quite work with regards to the plot. But at the same time, I love this. It reminded me of opening that VHS tape on Christmas Day and not really knowing what this was. You know, and and yeah. sort of looking at my auntie like, "Oh, thanks," and then you know, massively getting into it and wearing the tape out, and just so much nostalgia for me. I adore this special. It's it's so good, and Patrick Triton is an absolute star. Yeah, absolutely. Second all, second all of that. Patrick Trout and Anthony Ainley, brilliant. John Pertwee, brilliant. Um, I've already forgotten his name, Richard Herndall, uh, stepping yeah. in for, for William Hartnell, brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's it just, it, it's got its flaws, but it makes me happy. Yeah, it's great. It is very a very enjoyable hour and a half. It's great. 
Ah, so then next week, Dan, we are doing our end of season countdown chart show effort where we rank every story we have seen from season two, uh, put them in order of our own personal preferences, see which ones we agree on, which ones we like more than potentially the other half of our, our hosting duo likes. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, my friend. But before yeah. we get to that, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online? Yeah, a bit of a truncated wrap up from me today because I've got a, I've got a steak cooking, so I'll be, <laughs> I'm, nipping, I'm nipping off from my tea very swiftly. So you can find me on Twitter at Dan Griffin Twenty One, spouting off all the usual bollocks that you've heard me mention a few all, every time on here. If you're a long term listener, uh, you can hear me on you unbooking the territory. Uh, that's on Twitter at UTT Podcast and all good podcast platforms uh, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling and our side project unbooking the tankatory on twitter at utt tank uh, where we look at the lives and life and times the trials and tribulations of one david tank abbott the hardest bastard to ever live great stuff you can find me while the network at sjp world media on facebook and twitter check out a follow all the shows on sjp world media you can find via those links but they're all available on every podcast platform also so just search sjp world media all over the place Uh, and this show itself you can find on facebook and twitter at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod dan I'll let you shoot off and have your dinner, my friend. Looking forward to our countdown episode next week. I really enjoyed it on season one. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult, but good fun for season two. I can't wait to have a friendly discussion that descends into childish arguments. Exactly. That's what this show is all about. (laughs) (laughs) That's what all our conversations are. Pretty much, mate. Pretty much. I'll speak to you next week, my friend. See you soon, pal. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. Right. My benchmark my benchmark for any given day is to get through it without shitting myself and I feel like I've been a success. Yeah, I, I can see that, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, that, uh, that was funny the other night, uh, last, sorry, just quickly recording with Rob on Thursday. Um, he sent us the Booker It Better Through from Steve-O. Okay. And he, he just went to the toilet while I was watching it, you know, because it's like a minute long or whatever. So I'm sat there watching it and I thought, while Rob's not here, I'll just sneak out, you know, squeak out a sneaky pump fucking nearly gambled and lost dinner oh why <laughs> I, t- like, I, I tell you i have n- i'm a big you know i'm a big lad i've not moved that fast in years yeah i was in that but i was in that bathroom within three seconds because i thought i'd shit my pants that's <laughs> <laughs> a message rob just been like if i'm not there when you come back <laughs> that'd be amazing it's because i nearly gambled and lost and shit myself <laughs> camera still rolling as well would have been perfect wouldn't it everything yeah i can't remember if it was recording but it'll definitely come out on the record itself just, yeah. Well, it's probably going to come out on our recording because I've been recording since we sat down. Oh, fuck. Oh, well. <laughs>
<laughs> Listen to an upcoming episode of Unbooking the Tan Guitar to find out whether I've pooed myself on. <laughs> That's it. Just that bit. That's all I'm going to cut. Just that one. <laughs> no context, nothing. And it'll work as a brilliant advert for the for UTT. <laughs> oh, people say I don't do any. People say I don't do any marketing for these shows. Mate, marketing genius. <laughs> shark, shark cutting. Got me intrigued anyway. I'll be listening. Did Dan yeah. shit himself? <laughs> week, weekly feature this week on Did Dan Poop? <laughs> you could run Twitter polls like chain wrestling, yes or no? See what the listeners think. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm on a 19 year streak of not shitting myself, so I think it's. Uh, and how old are you? 33. Okay. So will that be 14? Yeah, oh, I'd had a stomach bug or something. Ah, uh, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. not just a belly full of beer, a bad takeaway, and no. a coughing a bit too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what I did was, came in pissed one night, I was messing around, decided to do sit-ups, long story short, shit all up the living room wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when you crush your abs, how much pressure you can get behind it. <laughs> It was, it was that that was the wrong kind of chocolate fountain. <laughs> it's like squeezing water out of a balloon. <laughs> like un- like unclogging a rusty drain pipe. Oh my god. So I'm glad to see that our usual standard of incredibly highbrow entertainment has taken off. Um <laughs> it's, fun- it's it's funny because poo. Yeah, exactly. Shall we begin? <laughs> If, if we're done talking shit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Lovely. God. Right. If, you, if you're going to die, can you do it quietly? Yeah, I'll meet my mic next time. You'll just see me in silence, <laughs> fall to the side. <laughs> then I can put the Benny Hill music over the top of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just do wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway. Anyway. Okie doke. Uh, right. Three, two, one. And the one thing the sponsors are really concerned with is how often you talk about poo. <laughs> yeah, and that's his and quarries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead, what we need is like a live, laugh, live, laugh, love logo, but with with poo Nazis and quarry. Boom, t-shirt right there. <laughs> we'd be all right oh, if God. there was just. We'd be all right if there was some kind of, you know, fascist army that was regularly digging. They might want to sponsor us. We took a lot of boxes for them. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing. Probably not, mate. Probably not. Anyway, we can't, we can't market a podcast to fascist moles. <laughs> fascist moles. <laughs> Do they have many sort of political beliefs? Moles? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just wondering if the fascist moles are playing at that um, at Gallifest. <laughs> yeah, probably, mate. <laughs> well, playing oh, their big hit album, Nazi Quarry in full. <laughs> So yeah, there we go. That's the first three minutes of the podcast I'm going to have to cut out. Um, 
<laughs> you're the one that suggested putting. You're the one that said you'd put Nazis on a T-shirt. Yeah, that is true. No, hang on. As in, as a point of reference to what we joke about, not joking about Nazis, but joking about you know the, the fascist sort of you know undercurrents and some Doctor I, I know. Not I, know. I, I just wanted to I'm see not, you squirm. <laughs> I'm not literally going to put Nazis on a T-shirt. I'm not going to have like a cartoon Hitler waving or something. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know that, that's an incredibly bad taste, surely. <laughs> Well, let's leave this alone. I just wanted to, I just wanted to make you squirm a wee bit, but yeah. But there we go. <laughs> On today's episode of the one hundred percent not fascist Doctor Who pod, we are looking at the well, I suppose fifth Doctor special, the twentieth anniversary special. Because it was the sixties, and you could stalk children if you were a teacher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is our previous the, episode I love, for that. I love the throwbacks to our older stuff. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love re- I love referencing how funny I am. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that time we made a joke about kidnapping kids? Oh, we're great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, say what you will about paedophiles, but at least they drive slow past school zones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My God. Oh. <laughs> uh, Oh, anyway, uh, I think it was better when we spoke about Nazis. To be fair, or poo, yeah, <laughs> or shitting Nazis, <laughs> Gallifrey and Nazi pingo. <laughs> <laughs> that, cross- that, that crossover band was weird. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we had sunglasses on as well. You couldn't see their faces properly. I wonder why. <laughs> death, metal, death metal interspersed with a bit of funko, all to the beat of jackboots on tarmac. <laughs> Flat Gallifreyan tarmac. (laughs) (laughs) From that gig they played in the death zone. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's what it is. You know, old Rassilon, he he seems a bit of a dude when we meet him later. Perhaps he wanted to put on a show. Perhaps that's where Gallifest was. It was in the death zone. It kind of has to be now. And that's where the roads are are there. So the campers can drive in the night. Figured it all out, mate. Join us it next was... week on the Doctor Who pod. <laughs> Made Glastonbury look like a pile of shit. Yeah, a pile of Gallifrey and pink eye shit. <laughs> oh. Fuck <Okay>. you. <laughs> I can't even remember what we were talking about now. <laughs> uh... It's, it's the first Doctor meeting the fifth. Um, oh yeah, and he, and, and he, he doesn't something. give a shit. It's his granddaughter. Yeah, and he's, but because he's too busy meeting himself, and he's just yeah. going me. Yes, yes, I'm afraid. So regeneration fourth. Oh, there you go. Brilliant. Not really asked on that either. Tegan and Turlo introduce themselves. Nobody's really asked. Um, <laughs> introducing Susan to himself, and he's just like, well, and he's, he's he's just there, just basically look at the first one. Well, she she was your granddaughter. I don't fucking know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have any kids. Night, night to do with me, mate. I'm dodging the child support, mate. <laughs> I'm scared. What goes what goes on in 1963 stays in 1963, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said Jimmy Savile. Um, <laughs> oh my. Oh, God, there's too many pedo jobs in this show. <laughs> so far, I think, out of the hour we've been recording, we've got about 20 minutes we can use. <laughs> that's, that's been generous. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I like. Uh, I got sort of real weird. I don't know, cheesy eighties porn vibes as well. When um, <laughs> <laughs> when the brigadier doesn't notice Tegan and Sarah Jane at first, and they both exactly at the same time just go, "Ooh, brigadier!" You know, it's kind of <laughs> ladies. <laughs> and he's like, "I'm here to fix your fridge." <laughs> You, they call me the Brigadier. Now you're going to find out whether they call me the Bigadier. <laughs> is that a gun in my pocket? Well, well, yes, it is. I'm a soldier, but I'm still excited to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm packing both barrels. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Penis, penises aside. Um, <laughs> 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 you okay, Sai? Do you need a minute? Yeah. No, I'm all right. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I don't think you are. Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Penis is oh, aside. Penis is aside. <laughs> Oh, my face is hurting. (laughs) Just put the penis to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, I've got to cut all this shit out. (laughs) Funny, though, isn't it? Um, Yeah. So the, the inscription on the thing says, I've got on my tea soon as well. Uh, the inscription says, this is the tomb of Rassilon, where Rassilon lies in eternal sleep. Evil Time Lord and whatnot. And then he just produces this little weapon and it's like, ha-ha, look what I have. <laughs> always, always terrible when somebody only produces a little weapon. <laughs> Very true. But penises aside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What I do like though is, is you just see the brigadier maneuver maneuver behind him. Yeah, 